0: Welcome back to Two Nobodies, everyone. Rupesh is here again. Appreciate everyone subscribing and joining us again for another week. I have a really great guest, someone that I met a long time ago, got to work with, and really appreciate her insights always on this field. Um, You know, Governments are going through challenging times, all the time, and last couple of years with the COVID crisis and there's always all of these kind of different challenges. What is it like for a communications professional to navigate those challenges to support governments, to support public sector uh, agencies, and all that? I always think that's a fascinating challenge, and I have the right person to talk to, Sherry Doyle, who's the founder and owner of Digital Owl Communications here in Alberta. Sherry, thanks so much for joining Two Nobodies, and welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Refresh, for having me.
0: Yeah, appreciate having you. Um, what a interesting challenge the last couple of years with with COVID, especially. Like, I was at a I was at a community event um, not too long ago, and and. It feels like everyone is just like COVID has kind of just changed people. Like it's like everyone's like it's bec- everything's become so much more polarized. And I've always been wondering about like what's the challenge for governments when they're having to communicate in this really polarized environment. But like you were you were in the thick of it, right? Supporting these governments during COVID. What was that sort of like?
1: I think it was a challenge because it was something that was completely unprecedented. Mm. So when you think about supporting public sector communications you think about a wildfire situation yeah. or a situation that has a has somewhat of a limited time frame mm. uh, with covid we're looking at a matter of years so Everything from adapting to new technologies, to responding quicker, to structuring communications around how uh, we need to be more responsive. Mm. Um, There were a lot of challenges there. And I think that um, on top of all of that, we had massive shifts in consumer behavior. We had massive shifts in how people want to receive information, people's ability to um, engage with government, brands, um, uh, they're downloading, they're streaming, all of that stuff as they're, you know, staying home to kind of avoid the spread. Yeah. Um, so it's it was really interesting not only to take a 360 look at the structures of government and how they support these uh, pandemic situations, but also the behavior of of the public, the taxpayer, the consumer mm. that all go along with it.
0: I always... I've always thought that like especially the public service in particular like when it, when a crisis happens, I've always thought that people generally trust the information that's coming out there, especially at a time of crisis and I found and this is purely anecdotal a purely sort of suspicion, but like at the start of the crisis, especially the first three or four months in in twenty twenty like after march twenty twenty I felt like everyone was on board, everyone was ready to just you know follow whatever those guidelines were. Uh, follower government was t- was sort of directing people and then all of a sudden it was just like everyone started questioning things and people started questioning the information that was out there and all that like do you think that government still there's still a place that people hold for governments when it comes to like trusting the information after well I mean yeah after this COVID crisis
1: I guess I think that at the beginning people were, you know, concerned, curious. Um, they were willing to take steps. Um, but slowly it really started encroaching on people's personal lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of those things, even when you look at the workplace, like the people working from home and, uh, you know, canceling Christmas dinners, all these things, it was really, um, the home and work and professional life and the government and all that, it, mm-hmm. there was like a blurred line there for a while. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that it's going to be a, um, a difficult climb to rebuild trust. And I don't think that that's just specific to government. Um, we're seeing stats about how people trust everyone from NGOs to mainstream media to, you know, um, journalists, CEOs, everything that trust has dropped significantly. Um, so, I mean, I just have some stats, um, from uh, Edelman. So if 52% of Canadians surveyed in mm. 2022, um they think that newsrooms are no longer nonpartisan. They're no longer a place to get information. Uh forty-seven percent of Canadians are worried now about their rights. Um and that is mm. a significant leap um from previous years. So mm. There are definitely some concerns in the general public. Um, 49% of people are worried that technology is now going to take over their job Mm. because if anything, um, and we can talk about this later in in, in the podcast, COVID really um, created new venues for technology to make life easier, for people to be more engaged from their home. Um, But that also created some fears. Mm. So I think that there is a little bit of a fear. There's definitely a lack of trust um, and that's something that communicators, governments, companies, brands, um, everyone is going to have to take into consideration when it comes to marketing and and communications.
0: Where do you think that sort of mistrust started to to occur? Like, especially when you think about like the media, and like that's a that's a staggering stat. Like you said, fifty seven percent of people, or um, was I anyways, mean, it was in the fifties mm-hmm. or whatever, as far as people thinking that uh, the news media is nonpartisan anymore, like especially that's where most people used to get their information for the most part. Where Mm -hmm. do you think that sort of mistrust started to occur, particularly in Canada, I guess?
1: I think that there was just so much information and a Mm -hmm. lot of misinformation. um, And that was really something that contributed to it. So the lack of trust, I think people were just getting bombarded uh, to the point where they were starting to disengage a little bit. Mm. Um, that's that's what I see um, in this. And, you know, when, like I said, it's it's in your home. It's something that affects you very personally. A pandemic was something that affected Canadian households, affected mm. Alberta households. Um, it was something that people had to, they couldn't, you couldn't leave it. and Especially yeah. if you're a communicator, you couldn't leave it at work. You couldn't leave it at home. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's something that I think affected people's trust and Mm. they've never experienced something like that. Like I said, it's completely unprecedented and so encompassing. Like everyone had that common experience. And I think that, yeah, when they start talking to people after about how they feel about trust, people are bringing some of that personal, uh, fears and those personal, um, pieces to the table. Mm. So that's really affecting their trust in it. It's not quite what it used to be. Do you, I feel like there's a lot of, um, I don't know. Maybe there
0: is a rightful, it's rightful to to blame, um, you know, politicians' role, in this, politicians' roles in these sort of situations, right? Like Donald Trump always comes up, right, with with his attack on on media, right? But it's not. I feel like he's not the only, you know, politician who, you know, politicians blame the media when they don't like things that, you know, when there's not good news about them, right? Um, it's not like it's it's the first time, but what's the role of a of a politician in in creating mistrust? Because I would think pol- like political officials, they need the media to be on their side too, right? Like they they want to make sure that when they have a story that wants to go out like that people believe what the government is saying, right. So it's almost like this push and pull tension between like po- political officials and the media as far as when it comes to building trust.
1: Yeah. And I think that communications has changed a lot and politicians and others need to kind of grab onto that. So Mm. I'm an elder millennial. So I started my career in 2007. Mm. Um, Facebook was new. Mm. Uh, You know, that kind of communication was new. It was very much a top down communications approach. So um, we would organize press conferences, mm-hmm. we would put the minister, you know, up in front, um, mm-hmm. deliver the message, answer the questions. Journalists would take that back to the newsroom, draft a story that went to print. It landed mm-hmm. on your doorstep the next day kind sure. of thing. Yeah. Um, what we've seen drastically happen, um, in the field and in communication and how we receive information in general is, is we've seen more of a bottom up approach. So I can, as a communicator, go directly directly. To the taxpayer directly to the public i don't need to rely on the filter that comes Mm. down um but with that is the need to engage and answer questions and to be more authentic and to be more vulnerable Mm. because it's now a conversation so you're in Mm. the room with these people on these platforms you're talking to them about the things that matter to them but you also have to answer those questions um I would like to see more of that. I would like to see more of embracing that type of technology and that directness. And I think during the pandemic, some politicians were successful in hosting Facebook chats, answering questions, um, putting themselves out there, talking about their personal experiences, things like that. I think that that was something that was successful. Um, But there's still a long way to go in terms of embracing this bottom-up approach where... the public can invent the news. Uh, the public can send something out that goes viral about a politician. Um, they can talk about topics that are important to them and it's all in the same space. So we all exist equally. It's like a democracy. Um, the true, you know, online democracy where everyone is a player in the conversation. So, um, I think that that's a way for them to build more trust. Um, and, and look at ways to to address that so that's that's an adjustment right for
0: for for governments if like typically they were sort of the trusted source but now they're kind of a part of the conversation right like as you said if the media can access the the public more readily rather than that sort of top-down approach um that's a different role for politicians and for governments to have to be sort of an equal member in that conversation right
1: yeah. And there are also risks with that. There yeah. are vulnerability. There is a sort of fear around, you know, it's not a megaphone anymore. It's a mm. conversation. So I'm not holding the megaphone. I'm engaging and everyone has a megaphone. So it's, it's more of that. And uh, it's really about being able to be comfortable, being uncomfortable. And I mm-hmm. think that You know when i started in my career it was just so formulaic and you planned and kind of could control it but to say that we've been able to control the message for the last 20 years it's just we haven't we haven't Mm. been able to control the message it's it's Mm. about what people are saying about you and that's really what brand is now is Mm. what people are saying about you people are saying about your brand it's not your logo Mm. it's not this it's not that so um yeah i think building that trust is really important um especially now that we see in the statistics that government was the most volatile in terms of trust. Mm. Um, so even, I was surprised to see NGOs losing trust. Um, but yeah, it was everyone across the board is a loser, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, but I did see government being the most volatile and the higher you go, the less people trust you. Right. So your city councilors would probably be more trusted than the prime minister in terms of, um, the information that's going out. Mm. Um, Another thing I want to mention, too, mm. is that the rush to get the information out now. So we have uh, mainstream journalists. We have, you know, CTV, CBC. Everyone's online. They're yeah. posting their stories. Twitter especially is sort of now there's a competition to see if you can get the information out quicker. And it's fast and it's it's very quick. Um, so there's a lot less fact checking. Um, I mean, there's no ability at some points just to say things that are happening yeah. Um. To fact check those things, so it does create that risk of everyone spreading uh, misinformation. So that is another thing that to consider when we look at all of these tools in the digital landscape.
0: Um. There's a couple of things I want to talk about. Well, maybe just to build off of that. So, am I hearing um, newsrooms and media organizations? There's less now capacity, or is it less capacity for folks to really? dive deep into things or is it just not a willingness or a desire to deep dive deep into things like you see so much more opinion-based news right news right as Mm -hmm. opposed to actual like analytical news and and that sort of thing is that is that a conscious effort or is that just an erosion of actual professional capacity
1: I think there's a difference between just straight up reporting and journalism mm. and um, we need journalism. We need mm. investigative reporting. We need um, deep dives. We need people yeah. that are going to take time to get to the root of problems and report those problems. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked in not just digital, but media relations. And when I started, it was, that was it. Like you called and pitched and you were fielding media calls all day. Newsrooms mm. are stretched really thin uh small rural publications have shuttered um Mm. so there is still a role for a lot of that communication um but it is yeah it's definitely been stretched thin and i i have noticed that some media companies are using advertising selling advertising as a huge piece to make up for Mm. some of that funding um but less people again are even reading um like e-publications has gone down Mm. So, you know, even trying to move uh, newspapers to new types of formats that are more friendly. um, Tablets use, laptop use has dropped. Smartphone use has skyrocketed. Like Mm. everything is changing again. Yeah.
0: yeah. So it's
1: a constant fight, constant adjustment to uh, engage and find the right business sort of business model. And I think it's been a struggle for journalists. It's sad because we've had, in Canada, we've had fantastic reporting, um, really great in-depth reporters. Uh, So I'm hoping that there will be more of that continuation. And I do think that podcasting is um, an opportunity to still do those deep dives and still do those investigations. Uh, So I'm hoping that the audio part, will will mm. invigorate that again, and, and it'll just be a different format to discuss the topics of the day. Yeah, for sure.
0: So the other thing that you said was politicians kind of need to be vulnerable, or, or I, maybe I'm misunderstanding that, but like when you think about, we hear more and more in leadership about how leaders need to be more vulnerable, right? Or like vulnerability is an important part of leadership. I'm just thinking about like, I just can't see how politicians uh or governments can can be that like so maybe help me understand what you mean by when
1: you talked about vulnerability i think it's uh like i said getting comfortable with being uncomfortable so um we have to go where the public is we have mm. to go and communicate with them where they are and mm. if we have the average person spending 2.5 hours a day on social media mm. We have to meet them where they are, and social media is a way to do that. And the way Mm. to be on social media is to be engaging, uh, whether that's a Reddit AMA, it's a live chat. You have to be okay with getting uncomfortable questions, not holding the megaphone, that kind of thing. Mm. And I think that they are warming up to the idea. I think that COVID was uh, a catalyst for that. Not only are politicians engaging on social media, but... We also saw how news conferences became more of like a public domain thing. Hmm. So, you know, we had to live stream updates. Uh, COVID updates are live streamed. Wildfire updates are now live streamed hmm. with sound, inter- sign interpreters, all of that. Yeah. So, it used to just be focused on media, but now it's it's broadcast on YouTube tens of thousands of Albertans, for example, Mm -hmm. or people from New Brunswick are tuning into their local COVID-19 updates. So again, they're getting that. They're not necessarily getting the top-down communication from the media. They're with the media listening to their questions or tuning into the press conferences. So that itself is also an opportunity to change the way that press conferences are done, for example, because we Mm -hmm. know that the public is also tuning in so it's not just about answering the media's questions. It's also about speaking to the public as well. So that's another thing. Uh, live chats are huge. So they're getting mm. more and more uh, popular. Um, I have seen them poorly done. I've seen them well done. So I think a couple years ago, well, many years ago now, Kathleen Wynne was the premier of Ontario. She hosted mm. a Reddit AMA. I think they got to 10 questions in an hour Uh, it was too slow, it was too vetted, it wasn't organic, it wasn't vulnerable. Mm. So not responding is a response, unfortunately. Uh, Not responding quick enough is a response. Mm. So if you're going to do those things, you do them right. And so that's something I think people need to learn. One thing, though, that's challenging is communicators are still having a challenge showing the value of digital tools and social media and the the tools Mm. we need to be more vulnerable. I think that, uh, 30%, um, I did a, I had a presentation with meltwater Mm. and, uh, yeah, about 30% of communicators are still having to argue with senior management about the value of, uh, digital tools and social media. So not quite there yet. Um, I think it's all about embracing innovation, embracing vulnerability, embracing technology, which is really what it's about, um when it comes to reaching these large swaths of people who are at home and using different devices mm. so it's 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 a bunch of things why why
0: are they still resisting these kind of digital tools
1: i think that there is a lack of understanding of a lot of it mm. and it's knowing how it's worked for so long that people mm. are just stuck on that i think there needs to be more diverse voices in this space, uh, diverse hires in public sector environments, so mm. not picking on any government in particular, but um, hiring marketers, hiring people who are bringing technology skills, making sure that ideas are king. Uh, governments are always structured that way, so mm. um, it can be siloed, so I, I am happy to see chief digital officers popping up in provincial governments mm. across Canada. So. Looking at ways to uh, make products more accessible, looking at ways to engage more with the public. So I think that it's it's happening, but it will take time and it's not a choice.
0: Yeah How do you how do you engage in that sort of rapid format like live chat but still be come off as authentic right?
1: Yeah, I think it's preparation, um, understanding what the issues mm. are. You should know what the public's talking about. Right. Mm. Um, and that's an important piece as well. Uh, technology definitely helps with that. Uh, we've been able to use machine learning for years to, uh, scan public conversations, find out what the key, Mm. the key issues are, what people want to talk about, you know, um, again, that's de-siloing the government, uh, de-siloing social media managers, talk to correspondence managers, talk to frontline workers who are on the call center, Mm. uh, Call center phones. Everyone's talking. Everyone has an idea of what the issues are of the day that's reported up. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's things bubbling. Right. So these these Mm -hmm. these structures are a little bit of that canary in a coal mine that will tell you what's happening. And I think that opening up the lines of communication broader instead of sort of siloing them is is definitely a way that governments can look at feeding and and feeding up um, what the issues are of the day. I think if politicians can speak to what people care about, then that's half the battle. And to know what people are cared, caring about, you need to embrace technology.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're talking about how, especially during COVID, we would, you'd see a lot of these chief medical officers of health on, like, speaking live to the public mm-hmm. or the premiers or all these political officials. Mm-hmm. There was so much access during like the height of COVID. Right, every day there was an update. Right, or. Um, is that time over like do you do governments not want to go back to these kind of um i mean you did say like the, these kind of live updates are are, are still are still here but is that something that they don't want to go back to or or you think that that is kind of the new way of of exchanging information with the media and the public
1: yeah i think there's a lot of things that we could take from the pandemic and apply to future communications mm-hmm. um I don't think anyone's in a, in a position to want to go back to pandemic, you know, um, staying at home and, and, and all of that stuff and not being yeah. able to travel and, and things like that. So again, it was a real, real effect on on lives, but I do think that there were things that communicators did that would be great to continue to do. So I think now that live streaming press conference is a pretty standard thing, especially if the premier is involved mm. that may or may not have been the case before, but You know, people are subscribing to YouTube channels, getting their notifications, watching what's going on in the province. They can be more engaged that way. Mm. Um, A lot of things, you know, everything from the education system to e-health, you know, everything was changed as a result of that. So Mm. uh, more events are hosted online. Uh, That increases accessibility. So that is a positive thing, right? People can't make Mm. it out to events. Um, They can participate in a different way. They're in a different city. It opens up communications to a broader swath of people. And I think that that is an important piece for that. Um, People will just continue to publicly consume information on digital and social media. That increased during the pandemic. So again, we're looking at how do we communicate more effectively on these platforms as they continue to increase and increase and increase everything from streaming to podcasting, audio, I think 16% of people globally mm. have um 16 percent increase of, of folks that have purchased those in-home devices mm. so your alexa your google home that kind of stuff uh, during the pandemic so and
0: are people getting news from these things like or mm-hmm. do you know if people are yeah okay yeah they're getting
1: news from it they're engaging with it it does change everything from how we search for things so mm. um I've, I've had both Google and Alexa, so I'd ask it to, you know, find me information on a topic and it's, it's searching for the best source for that. So that also Mm. changes how audio is a big thing. That's, uh, Mm. that's King. And it does change how we will, um, receive information, how websites are written and things like that. Mm -hmm. If they're written for audio and that kind of thing. Um, that's also an important piece as we have an aging population. We have people who want more accessible information. We have the convenience of it. So these are all things that uh, change as a result of the pandemic. These are all consumer behaviors that have changed um, as a result of the pandemic. So it's important to understand those things as a communicator so that we can adjust and, uh, and make sure that we continue to do a lot of those things, including governments and politicians.
0: Is there still a place for the traditional town hall? I mean, if you remember a few years ago, the prime minister went around the country and did all those town halls. And um, I went to the one here in Edmonton. It was, it, I thought it was kind of cool, but um, like, is there still a place for those sort of things, do you think? Or
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely an appetite for public, especially post-pandemic, for the public to get yeah. together. And I think that that is more like community building anyone who works on a campaign will tell you it's knocking on doors that gets votes it's not facebook ads and all that stuff so i do believe that when it comes to political campaigning like you got to get into these towns you've got to go meet people Mm -hmm. you've got to knock on doors Mm -hmm. there's definitely still a place for all of that i think now what we've seen is um just more of a hybrid model is acceptable i think people got sick of zoom calls so they didn't necessarily Mm want to get off work and go do zoom events every night but to have a little bit of a mix of in person and, and mm-hmm. not. So uh, whether that's a consultation uh, government's doing, or if it's something in the nonprofit sector, like a festival yeah. or um, like lit fest or, or an event, you know, mm-hmm. um, any, anything could be, you know, half, half online, half in person, but I think there's still, like I said, I, I appreciate digital tools. I work in this space, but we need journalism. We need in person Mm -hmm. events we still need to do that for human connection and it's still effective yeah yeah
0: um so you think about the traditional way of communicating these town halls what are the upcoming disruptors that you see in this space like what is what are what's not on people's radar but that's going to disrupt the way governments and public sector agencies communicate with the public like what does that look like
1: Well, I think artificial intelligence is something that is starting and has been um, Mm. working its way into communications tools. So I think Mm. we need to release the idea that uh, a public sector communicator or someone is an expert and just see them as someone who is constantly evolving and learning about these new tools and maybe more of an expert on what's new. So, um, mm. I know that the old PR, um, sort of stereotype is the person who just knows what to say, you know, what to say mm. in front of the camera. Um, it's a little bit different now. It's more about understanding what's next, understanding what the trends are, understanding what people are talking about, um, and being able to craft content, um, chat GPT. I mean, that's just taking, uh, the web by storm right now. And mm. it is a great way for content creators to, um, write content, write engaging content. I know that if you are a small business owner and you don't have any resources, you're able to use, enter your engaging content and it'll flip you back, you know, three or four tweets that are similar to the stuff that was high performing. Yeah. So you can continue to push that stuff out. Um, the only issue with chat GPT, and I think that governments and people will have to be mindful of it, is it does, it does pull the information from the internet. There are plagiarism mm-hmm. issues. There are factual mm. issues so um that's something might be
0: a good starting spot maybe i don't know i think
1: so i think it's a way to yeah. if you're stuck you got writer's block you gotta do something yeah. i hope that i'm still here in five years that the robots haven't <laughs> taken my job but
0: <laughs> that was my next question yeah. like how are you how are you feeling about the use of something like chat gpt and ai and
1: yeah i think that it's about um shifting your focus as somebody who can create something as opposed to somebody who understands the tools that create things. So
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: important to, of course, be a creator. It's important to be a writer, but it's also important to understand and be aware of the tools that can also assist you to do those things. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to just constantly being aware of the evolution of it. Um, like Shutterstock, Everyone knows Shutterstock. They create Mm -hmm. photos. They have a Shutterstock AI program now, and it is Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Um, You can talk about your key message, your campaign, and it will find you the right design uh, for that. I mean, I think that there's no stopping something like that, especially for content creators like you, Rupesh, who wants to design something beautiful, but, you know, doesn't have a designer on staff and things like that. Um, But people will have to review this stuff. We have to be mindful of the plagiarism. So it'll be interesting to see where a lot of it goes. Uh, We also have, you know, obviously short form video is massive. So TikTok's big. Mm. It's the big thing right now. So when we look at um, Synesthesia is another AI app. So that allows you Mm. to, if you want to create a person, Mm. you can go through a catalog of people. You write in what they want you to say. You can pick and choose uh, genders, ethnicities, uh, hairstyles, like whatever, and that person will get up on a video, TikTok video, and talk about your program. So you're we we mm. talk about influencers and the role of influencers. Yeah. Um. These are digital influencers. Like they are not real. They are. Uh... That's scary as heck, man. <laughs> they don't quite look. There's a little bit of, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's, they don't quite look natural, but we're getting there. How
0: people, people buy into that sort of thing. They know it. Like, do people know that these are like, these are digital influencers, like they're not real or.
1: I don't know if you have to be transparent about that right now. I know that when influencer marketing started with actual influencers, like live people, uh, there was mm. no, at first there was no laws in place where you had to disclose that you were selling a particular product. So you were standing there mm. with a the butt light and you didn't have to tell anybody. Now in Canada, mm. there are laws where you have to disclose the fact that it's a paid partnership. They even say, like you can say paid partnership, stuff like that. Right. Um, I don't know how that works because you could also just be a content creator using it not to sell a product, right? You could, but you yeah. could use that person as the face of the company or something like that. Mm. Um, there are digital influencers. Uh, South Korea has a uh, beauty influencer. She is beautiful, fashionable, awesome. Hundreds of thousands of followers. She's not real. Um, very popular. She is, um, and, and they they disclose that they're they're saying you know she's a she's a world renowned digital influencer and she sells products and people buy them. So, um, influencing. Like what does she? How? What does she? Sorry. What does she do? Exactly. She sells products. Um, I'll find her name for you. Um, okay. Yeah. But she sells beauty, fashion, all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. She's a digital influencer. She's not a real person, Rupesh.
0: <laughs> and how that influence, I don't understand how that influences people. Like that, that, that doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. I don't know. Yeah. So that's. Have you played around? Have you played around with, Um, uh, well, you talked about Shutterstock AI. I played around with like Mid Journey and Instaart and all that sort of thing it is it is like wild what you can create in such a short amount of time, but the other thing that's kind of that's scary but also upsetting is just like if you type like i don't know uh uh person doing yoga and you say beautiful person it like a i will spit out what it thinks a beautiful person will look like, yeah, right, and so that you know that's really upsetting to me, but
1: yeah and it it can yeah. be used for negative things like that. Like we won't know the impacts right away, but also I'm thinking as someone who writes creatively for businesses Mm. and companies to think about them, chat GPT, they'll scour the internet, but they're going to find a lot of jargon. They're going to find a lot Mm. of like well-written, but not creatively well-written necessarily. It'll be stuff, Mm. stuff that people are saying a lot, Um, repetitive language. So not necessarily overly original thought. So I think there'll always mm-hmm. be pe always be that sort of piece. So we've got designers now writers like me, we've got influencers, you know, um, I chose those three examples just because that those mm-hmm. affect those three spaces. So, um, I think it's about working with understanding the technologies, working with them, but also finding out what your value proposition is going to be when it comes to understanding and using those because, um, Everyone I know who works in social media uses a platform for monitoring or Mm -hmm. whatever or um, content, scheduling, calendar, all of those things. They are now integrating the chat GPT into a lot of those platforms so that as you're drafting and planning out for the week, your content, you can use that as a way to help. So um, Mm -hmm. it's something to both celebrate and fear, I think, in a little bit. Um, I don't know if the robot overlords are completely taking over, but um, there are ways you can use it to help and to use it to your advantage.
0: How are you feeling about the ban of TikTok on government devices and not necessarily the security piece, obviously, but more so about just um, like you said, like these shorts are kind of King as well right now. And, and um, there are a lot of politicians who've been using TikTok as a way of engaging their audiences. And so, Um, yeah how do you how do you feel about um, whether governments and politicians are going to be missing out on a key demographic
1: well I that is my concern but uh, I think that there are if there are security concerns which clearly they have stated that there are um, having it on government phones is one thing but understanding the importance of it is another so um, Mm. I think that it's one thing to just say, you know what, we shouldn't use this on these particular phones. But I think it's still something that uh, government should be aware of. It's blowing up. It's huge. Um, it'll be interesting mm. about using it for the election because I'm just thinking, mm. how are you going to, if you want to engage with young people, how are you going to do that without using this platform? So there may be ways around it. Um, but again, it's it's my, my thing and a big part of my job is talking to a lot of senior leaders about social media and stuff and it's not about understanding how every single platform works but it is about understanding the importance and the growth of the platforms mm-hmm. um so there might be some FOMO there uh when it comes mm-hmm. to election time and engaging with the youth mm-hmm. um but I'm wondering if parties can use it because um, technically mm-hmm. that's not government so um yeah just thinking about parties like the NDP who might want to reach younger voters or sure. people like that. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, I, it's, it's a, it's a ban. It's gone. Like it's, it's cross country thing right now. It,
0: and, and so do you know the number of users like for TikTok compared to, because you can do shorts for like, you can do YouTube shorts. You can do obviously do shorter videos for on Instagram mm-hmm. Like is is just TikTok like their base is just so much larger. Like, can't you just engage on a different platform and still get the same kind of reach, or or not really? Um.
1: Well, it's it's definitely the fastest growing right now. Um. But yeah. I, as you probably see, a lot of them cross post. So yeah, I use yeah, Instagram yeah, yeah. a lot. Um. It's mm. my favorite, and I get mm. TikTok posts on it constantly in reels. So a lot of the platforms yeah. have started moving to a similar model, so reels, everything like that, to kind of mimic that short-form video stuff that TikTok's has been doing. Um, and that has allowed uh, creators to cross over. So if you don't want TikTok, you probably will still be looking at, like, I don't know, you could scroll through and see, like, 50 TikToks because they're just cross, cross-posting. Mm-hmm. Um, but TikTok's not slowing down anytime soon, so it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how um people are engaging with it and whether or not you can advertise on it without having accounts and things like that like just sort of those Mm. walk arounds um that instagram used to have you didn't used to have to have an instagram account to actually advertise on instagram uh i'm wondering if tiktok is you can get a buying agency to put stuff up there without it actually having to exist in a government server yeah
0: Do you think TikTok actually changes its ways? I mean it's only a small this is a small loss for them, right? Even if it's all provincial and and federal Mm -hmm. government um users, like that's not really a a ton of users that they're losing. Um does this potentially change the way TikTok um yeah, I don't know. Do they do they take this seriously, you think? Or
1: I think it depends on the demographics, but if the business community and starts to do it the same way, it may affect them a little bit more, make them pay Mm. attention, but um mm. i see young people's game on that and uh i don't think they really care right now
0: <laughs> yeah yeah oh this is yeah it's a it's a fascinating time for sure um what was i gonna ask you i was gonna ask you about um uh just you know in the, you started your business digital owl like didn't you start it in the midst of like the covid piece or was it before yeah. there
1: well, I started it in 2017. So I, okay. so just yeah, yeah, I was still working full time. I wanted to do a bit of a side gig. I had been volunteering, working in nonprofit. Um, I was working yeah. in BlitFest Alberta. I, I was busy with social media on a volunteer basis. And then people started saying, hey, can you do a social strategy for me? Can you make a mm. Facebook page for me? And I thought, you know what, like, I have to get a business license to do this. So I yes. started uh, a side gig company. So something I did on like evenings and weekends, like I would go to events and do things like that. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, it was something I could do on my own time. Uh I went on maternity leave and mm-hmm. you know, just kind of started thinking about it. Went back to a government job, um and I thought, you know, mm-hmm. if I could maybe I can make a go of this, you know. So I worked mm-hmm. in government for another year. Um mm-hmm and started getting more and more offers for contracts. So I couldn't do both, obviously. So yeah, Yeah. I just, I left and I've been working full-time the business since uh, 2021. So uh, I had the opportunity to work in government during the pandemic, it was that experience. And uh, I wouldn't have had, I don't think a lot of the experience I have now, if I hadn't have done some of that disaster response stuff, which was just really fascinating. So yeah, so now I, I do, I like to call my business sort of a cross-platform communications. Um, I have worked in all levels of communications over the years and have kind of seen that evolution. So while I understand mm. digital tools, everything from blogging, etc., I also work in traditional media, video, that kind of stuff too. Yeah. So I think it's important for clients to consider all types of things when they want to communicate and with who they want to communicate.
0: Where are clients uh, mostly wanting your your support on these days?
1: I'm doing a lot of general communications. So what I've noticed over the past few years mm. is that the specializations are kind of they're kind of broadening so you used to hire when I, I used to be a social media specialist i managed social media uh, people know i managed social media for the goa for a while and the team there mm. um and as things got more and more uh as social media and digital tools become more mainstream they're they're an expectation now so uh yeah. you if you're a communications person coming into the field now, um, I've noticed a lot of the students, people coming out into school, they are already in this. They already know how to use the tools. They are really good and great at blogging, creating really engaging content. They can go on Canva and design things. They can do all kinds of things. So I think it's just kind of part of the field now. So I'll work on an announcement, but I'll help them make that digital friendly, so I'm working Mm. with reporters, I'm organizing a press conference, but we're making sure that we're doing video content, we're doing interviews, we're creating like our own Mm. newsroom, Um, we're doing some engaging blogging on it, we're working with e-newsletters, if there's a a community Facebook page that we can engage with, um, we will engage with that community to share information, so it's really like this holistic idea that every piece is is important to your strategy and I just want to get people thinking about that a bit more what don't we know who's not in in the room uh it's it's about being curious now as opposed to having all the answers and every time I do something Mm. it's an opportunity to do something a bit different so I'm booking people on podcasts you know before they just wanted to talk to Mm. reporters but you know CBC has podcasts and You have a podcast Mm -hmm. and a lot of people have podcasts. So Mm -hmm. helping book, um, you know, economic development folks on a podcast that talks about uh, the business landscape in Calgary with, you know, Mm 5,000 downloads a month. But it's a very Mm -hmm. perfect audience for that material. So I like to see more of that. I like to see more exploration. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to explore. I'm learning every day. So.
0: You could have, I've heard people who they said they just consume their news through podcasts because there's such a better exchange of information and you can, you know, it's not just short sound bites. You can really dig deep into things. And yeah, that makes, um, that makes a lot of sense. How was it like as an, as a early entrepreneur, as just an entrepreneur and starting a business? Like what were the challenges
1: for you? I think for me, I wanted to create a little bit of a safety net for myself. Mm -hmm. So I started slow. Um, I also had. I realized that I've positioned myself as more of a a communicator that focuses a lot on the public Mm. sector. So that was a little bit of a niche for Mm -hmm. me. Uh, I always love working in the public sector, um, love the experiences and, and and I feel like it's a different kind of communication in some ways, as opposed to selling Mm. product. Um, It's also about building communities, less focused. Mm. So I thought I could make a go of this. There's lots of clients I could work with and I could work with governments. Right. So I wanted to do projects impact driven just work on project specific. Mm. Um I think consulting was a good thing for that. So I took the time to build a client list over the years. Yeah. Then I went and did the full-time yeah. thing. So it was a lot of hours uh at the beginning sort of building that. But I would I would you know challenge folks to think about what they're good at and, and how they can jump in and, and do something like that. Even if it's on yeah. the side,
0: where do you hope, uh, digital Owl goes?
1: I am kind of wondering about that in terms of yeah, growth. Yeah. Um, I've had a couple, a couple of years now on the job full time. So I'm always learning how to balance, um, work, money, impact, family, mm. all of those things. I would like to build a team eventually and on uh, once I right have now? I am yeah. on my own right yeah. now yeah so it's nice um I'm a team of one I get to pick yeah. and choose my day but I think it's an opportunity too to help grow other communicators yeah. so um I would like to see it grow uh, a little bit in the next couple yeah. Of years Yeah,
0: and then I think you said you're you're a mom as well like just balancing family life how is that going then?
1: I think for me um going on maternity leave, I had time to think about what I wanted to do. Yeah. And the business was always something that made me really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, it made me happy and I wanted to continue it. And I knew that I would have a bit more flexibility to be home with my daughter. Yeah. So I get to work from home a lot. I get to spend more time with her. I don't have to commute as far. So I think that that, those things have all been great. Uh, you could travel when you want to mm. you can yank my computer and take it with me if I needed to go somewhere. Yeah. So it's great. It's been great balancing. My work-life balance may not be like everybody else's. Mine is sort of, I work when I need to. I don't work when I don't need mm. to. I think a lot of communicators, you know, it's sometimes it's a crunch. Sometimes you have time to breathe. So you just ride the waves. And if you're okay doing that, then that's, I think the consultant life's okay. If you're willing to like ride those mm. waves and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. And it's, it's been working really well for me and my family right yeah. now. Um,
0: your, your child's probably close to the same age as my daughter. Who's about five. Um, what's, uh, what's she into?
1: Oh, she's really into STEM stuff, really? which is like, I am not. <laughs> so I'm encouraging that she wants to be a veterinarian. Okay. She's into math yeah. and, yeah um animals and just medical stuff and I don't know is that because she was a like a COVID baby like I don't know I don't yeah I don't know if because they're so into the medical field and vaccines Mm. and all of these Mm. things I mean maybe we're are maybe the only maybe that's a good thing Mm. we're getting the next uh, generation of doctors out but she likes um unicorns Mm
0: mm-hmm that's still a thing for and my daughter too, unicorns.
1: Creative stuff. Oh, they love yeah. unicorns and Paw Patrol yeah. and all that. So, yeah. What about you? Um,
0: she's, uh, I mean, she. we do give her her, her hour of TV every day. Um, so she watches Bluey. She loves Bluey. Um, that's a big, have you seen that show? It's actually quite funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a big yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she watches the shows, but she loves to do a lot of role playing. She's very creative and imaginative and and that's how we spend our time together. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's precious. I love being a dad, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's like a huge leadership challenge, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Is she in kindergarten She's now. She's gonna
0: start kindergarten, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, same. It's like crazy, right? Yeah.
0: Does your um, I was I had somebody about a couple almost a couple years ago talk to this person about the microbiome, and she said her biggest fear is that like that kids will uh, who who've gone through this COVID experience will end up fearing germs. like you know you shouldn't fear germs, right? Like it's um, yes, you should wash your hands, you should be cognizant of all those things. but germs are an important part of your microbiome development and, and all that sort of thing. How's your How's your daughter with with that sort of thing? Like is she cognizant about that or is she it is hasn't affected her much?
1: She knows about the good germs and the bad mm. germs. Um, she's really into parasites and reading books about those types of okay, things. She's now. into it. Like, <laughs> she's into yeah. it. She loves getting. She doesn't mind getting needles. Yeah. I wow. think because she's seen us get so. Many, how many needles have we all gotten in the last mm. couple of years? And yeah, she's she is brave around that type wow. of stuff. But yeah, she's she has um an interest in it. She likes to watch little shows about it and and that but yeah i think they're learning about that in daycare and stuff too yep. it's like you know wash your hands but you know good germs and bad germs and well we see how sick they all got when they all, <laughs> they all went back and it feels like there's a cold in the house every the two time. weeks but all the time yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: um what are some disasters that you've seen? Like you talked about Kathleen Wynn and, and that, like, I don't know if that would you say that, that was a disaster, but like, what are some, I mean, if you want to name names fair, but if you don't, that's fine too. But like, what are some disasters that you've seen from a, maybe the use of digital communications that just like you'd always advise not to go down that direction?
1: Oh, my. Well, I've seen everything from upside down videos to, <laughs> to, you know, poor live streams. Live streams are always the one where you have to be really careful. Mm-hmm. You have to be really prepared. You have to have a good team. I am um, I could name other names, but a lot of it is usually in a live environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be prepared and open to receiving any type of information. Mm-hmm. You can't not take questions. You can't not. Yeah. It's just like it would be with a regular town hall. So, um, I have seen those go south, mm. I think. I think because people underestimate um, how they work and how to make them work. Um, so there are successful ways to set them up and non-successful ways to set them up. Those are the ones that I think are are the rough ones and the hard ones. And the AMAs. AMAs, they there forever, mm. right? The AMAs. So you need to really prepare yourself for those. I've seen successful AMAs. Barack Obama was actually really mm. good at them, did great AMAs. Mm. They were responsive. They were quick. Um, Might be easier because you don't have to talk about really drilled down Mm. specific stuff. Um, So there's good and bad. Uh, I've seen a lot of poor responses from companies. Um, Companies need to not get so defensive when it comes to customer service. Mm. So most people use Twitter. Consumers use Twitter for customer service Mm. or to get responses. Um, I've seen them not respond which like I said, is a response to pretty crazy things. Mm. And also um, poor taste tweets that are in poor taste. So it's always important to make sure that you are sharing information that is, (sighs) you can be funny, but don't do it in poor taste. I've seen really bad, you know, a veterans day sale to die for like just, you know, bad content Mm. all around. So You gotta have a strategy, you gotta have people looking over your stuff, you gotta figure out what the goal of it is Mm. and you've gotta plan, plan, plan. Mm. And also, if you do something wrong, you have to have responses in place for that. Mm. I've seen people just ignoring things and then they get they blow up and then they've gotta hire a PR firm to go ahead and handle it because they said something on Twitter that might get them fired and when an apology would have done. Or when someone says to you, I feel like this about this government and I don't like this and that, you know what? Sometimes people just want to be heard Mm -hmm. and they want, thank you for taking the time to write me. Mm -hmm. We appreciate your feedback. We're definitely going to pass it along. Um, That part of it, I think we get excited about launching campaigns, but we don't get excited about talking to people about Mm -hmm. them or taking their feedback and adjusting it. And, you know, it's a real test bed for How effectively we're communicating, and we should be embracing that, yeah, not avoiding it, not not responding, that kind of thing. Do you think? Do you Um, think there's a? You talked about
0: uh, like in some cases, an apology would do. Is like, do politicians and political officials do they have the ability? Like, do they have the luxury of apologizing these days? I feel like it's not well received, or and and I wish they would. I wish. Like, I wonder if they want to in some cases, but they know that it's just going to go south. Or is there a way of doing it in the proper way? Because I think about like at a different era, a different time. But I think about the, the stakes of this situation, like when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened. I don't know if you like if you, if you ever studied or looked at this period, but um, John Kennedy made a, a real grave mistake at one point. Um, and he he talked about that openly and he said and he apologized and he recognized his role and his poll numbers went through the roof after that, right? And it's like when you're talking about a grave situation where like Armageddon is about to happen and you're and you admit that and you can and people see your authenticity and they see your your genuine apology and they understand that and your polls go through like why
1: wouldn't we why wouldn't people do more of that? I think traditionally it's just been easier to fire one of your staff and blame it on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean i we see that all the time, yeah. oh you know that was that was something the office did, yeah. that wasn't something the p m did you know that was the, that was the office that wasn't the politician, mm. and they're sort of creating that buffer between the the mistake in the mm. office and the politician mm. uh but I agree, I agree that they're they're they have been well received these authentic apologies mm. uh depending on how grave the issue is mm. um I think mean, jFK could have got around he could have got away with a lot more mm. than I think the average politician, mm. but I, I I think it's less common. It's less common. I do remember during the pandemic, though, uh, the Premier Premier Jason Kenney at the time, he was talking and apologizing to businesses because mm. of the restrictions. The restrictions weren't affecting the Walmarts, mm. but they were affecting the small mm-hmm. businesses, the amount of people that were allowed mm. into a business, for example. Mm. So to get up and apologize and and make changes for that. I think the changes were good Mm. um, because they started, you know, making some significant changes so that businesses weren't punished Mm. as much, but that was detrimental to business. So to recognize that and apologize for that, that's rare. Yeah, (laughs) that's rare um, to be vulnerable, but that is vulnerability and authenticity and talking right straight to somebody is not a choice anymore. So maybe you can avoid it. Well, because of the way that we communicate now, Mm. the way that the tools are, Um, controlling the message is not up to you. The message is not up to you. Your brand's not up to you. Mm. it's, it's, It's what people are saying about you. And if you want to be part of that conversation, you have to join it in an authentic way. You can't create your own room and say, if you want to talk to me, you got to come into this room and does that apply to everybody
0: or are there some people who can still control that message and and
1: yeah uh i don't think so interesting i don't think that controlling the message should be part of communication strategy i think delivering the message and seeing what sticks and doing the research and figuring out all that but thinking that you can control how people feel think Hmm. um easily in a world where everyone's talking and engaging and misinformation is being shared. Um, that's, that's just not the case. Mm. It's not the case.
0: You said how sometimes our no response is also a response. And I think about like, if I wonder if sometimes there's, When there's too much over communication and we talked about trust and just like the credibility and integrity of what people say if there's too much communication could that devalue what people are saying rather than sort of um you know uh communicating with purpose and 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 not necessarily over communicating but having the right timing communicating with purpose and you know not reserving your comments for when it really really matters right um, like I, I wonder if there's still a a place for that, right? And I thought I thought actually like um, Stephen Harper was really good for that. Like he he didn't oh, he didn't have too many media events, and he would get criticized for that, right? But then when he did speak, he got the attention, right? Because people knew that okay, there was something important that he had to say. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's still a place for that because I've I've heard you say well. You know, you got to be in there. You got to be engaging, and so I wonder if just the words are become devalued, and then that also contributes to sort of mistrust and, and credibility.
1: Yeah, I think there's news, and there's news, and there's the way that we want to communicate with people and let them know what's happening because we have governments have a duty to communicate. They mm-hmm. have to communicate mm-hmm. good or bad right. information, right. and that, but then there's also that customer service aspect of it, and I tend to find that people do one or the other uh, really, really well. Mm. So governments can be really good at getting information out to people because they have those followings and they're really good at it. But then they forget about the aftermath of that, the questions they get around that, um, answering, just just straight up answering the questions of the people in the communities. No spin, no sell. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the real world implications of those types of things. And like I said, if Stephen Harper had a had a press conference today there would be probably citizens tuning in watching mm-hmm. tens of thousands of them mm-hmm. locally maybe more because it's the prime minister mm-hmm. uh watching and, and and listening to what was said and then looking for answers afterwards mm-hmm. uh where do they go to get those answers so it's sort of like and mm-hmm. you know so we can get the information and we also want to be able to communicate and um get our questions answered as well and i think that it's a challenge. It's a challenge for sure, and I, I I don't think people should just be on the tools for no reason because that's also not it. But my thing is that communicating with purpose means that if you are going to engage in these platforms, you need to know what that means. Mm. it It means the whole package. It means you need to be responsive. It means you need to have a game plan for when it goes south, mm. or you need to know how to talk to people about it. You need to find answers for taxpayers on these particular items and you need to adjust your campaigns based on the feedback. Mm. That's a relationship. Yeah. Right. That's not the megaphone that you, 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 so don't go in with that. And uh, that's still a work in progress as a consultant, as someone who has worked Mm. in digital communications in larger organizations, it's still a process to convince people that that's the way to do it, but mm. that is a way to do it. It's a holistic thing. You know, mm. you're building community, you're communicating with community and working with other communities. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're toying around with the idea of
0: a podcast yourself, right?
1: I am. Yeah. So a uh, friend of mine, we're looking at launching this in April. Yeah. So it's a podcast about personal branding. Okay. So it's called demythifying brand. So we are looking at, hosting conversations around what personal brand is Mm. we don't your brand is not your job right Mm. um like you have your own brand that's above and beyond your day-to-day job uh your podcast has a brand Mm. uh people have their own branding they have their things that make them unique things that make them tick what influences the brand? How do you present brands? So we want to talk to coaches, professional coaches. We want to talk to marketing folks. We want to talk to people that work in tech, um, people across all all walks of life Mm. um, because, you know, the way you were raised is a big part of your brand. So we want to just break open that conversation about brand and personal branding and also have some sort of work within the podcast mm. on helping people develop their brand statements and stuff like that. So that's launching in April. We had do have an Instagram page set up, but we haven't gone full tilt yet with everything. Um but stay tuned for that and I will be all over my socials with it as well.
0: That's pretty cool. Um do you see this as uh, an ongoing podcast or more of a um, multi sort of episode and and
1: move on or what do you think? Right now, we're planning it as a series. Series, yeah. We did plan it as a series with maybe five episodes, but now we've just got so much. There's so much we can dive into mm. that I think what we're we're gonna do is uh, do like multiple seasons or or series. We've got our space ready, okay. uh, our recording space setting nice. Ready, yeah. We're gonna work with uh, Northwest College. Okay. They're they're gonna work with us, and uh, so that's really exciting. Yeah. So that stuff's good. We've designed our pieces, but yeah, we really need to dive into the scripting and, you know, all that stuff and Mm. the pre-interviews and and getting the guests booked, but Mm. we've got a great roster. So I'm really excited to uh, launch that. That's exciting. That's exciting.
0: Awesome. Um, Shall we pivot to the two questions I ask every guest?
1: Of course. Yeah, let's do it.
0: Okay. So the five for dinner question, uh, dead or alive, who are five people you'd want to have a meal with? And curious, I guess if you'd have them individually or, or together.
1: Oh, I think I love to interview people and ask Mm. questions. So I feel like it might be on an individual basis. Uh, So Warren Buffett's on my list. Mm.
0: Warren Buffett. Why is that?
1: Yeah. Um, I really appreciate his take on business and his take on Mm. time management, Mm. being an effective leader. Um, Yeah. He still lives in his
0: his Omaha, Nebraska house. Like he just doesn't want to, it's not, doesn't live a lavish lifestyle. Like seems like a simple, yeah, guy.
1: So. Yeah, I I read an article about you know I don't go to those networking events. He's like I hate them. <laughs> I, even when he was younger, he's like yeah. I don't pass out business cards. I don't, you know, I, no one talks to each other. Like relationships mm. are a big thing, and I'm I'm big into relationships. And I've I've read some of his stuff and yeah. other communicators about the impact of like connecting with people and building mm. relationships, which mm. I think is very important. Mm. Um, next, I have Arlene Dickinson, mm. so. On, from Dragon's Den, also an incredible communicator. Mm-hmm. She runs uh, Venture Communications in Calgary mm-hmm. and across Canada. Uh, just, I loved her book, Persuasion. Yeah, it was I've fantastic. Read it. It's, it's amazing, yeah. Really great book. Uh, really enjoyed the, that's that's something about this mutual uh, benefit of communicating. I yeah. bring that to the table with all my clients. How can I make your problems mine? And mm-hmm. how can we work together too? come to some mutual benefit and just create something really great. And I think that flies in the face of the other dragons at the table. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> so yeah. really enjoy that. And uh, she, she
0: highlights the benefits of relationships big time in that book. So
1: She really does. Yeah. She is a incredible communicator mm-hmm. and marketer, I think because she created her own path. And that's what I find so fascinating. And I would just love to learn more about that path. I feel like that
0: one is a, definitely a possibility for you. I feel like I could see you having having dinner with her one day. Have oh, oh, you met her before? I
1: have I I have not. She spoke at uh Social West a couple of years ago. Okay. So, I got to see her talk and yeah. kind of in-person type yeah. thing, but uh I just think her story is so fantastic, yeah. but I would definitely like to collaborate with her company. Mm. I know they're looking for writers and stuff, mm. so I better, I better get on that. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. the tip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maya Angelou, of course, yeah. incredible, incredible, mm. wise writer, one mm. of the greatest writers of our time. Yeah. Mm. Um, I've read all of her books. I think that she's a fantastic, um, her wisdom about being a woman, her Mm. wisdom about uh, growing up in the United States and sharing the stories. Mm. um, You know, Jim Crow era, just, just a reminder of what people have dealt with in, in North America, what people have dealt with and uh, just an incredible, incredible storyteller for sure to, for people to aspire to be. So I'd have a lot of writing questions Mm um for Miss Angelou Brene Brown she's a mm. podcaster I listen to um from Texas she's great yeah. interviews some great people talks about leadership so I'm hoping yeah. to channel a little bit of my inner Brene for the just demythifying brand podcast mm. so hopefully she's a and fantastic co-
0: podcaster yeah. like she is really good at her oh. interviews
1: I, I I do love enjoy I I love listening to her yeah I really enjoy her podcast. Mm-hmm. I've I've learned a lot about it, and the diversity, of the people that she brings on, I just think that, yeah, gets me thinking. Gets me thinking mm-hmm. about different stuff. Great, yeah. great. But actually, maybe love to interview her during. Uh, dinner, mm-hmm. and my last is Michelle Obama. I love mm-hmm. loved her books. Um, yeah. Have you read the latest one? Uh, almost. Yeah, okay. yeah. What's so that one? What's that one
0: like compared to Becoming?
1: Um. It's a little bit more future focused, I okay. would say. Yeah. So becoming is more like a biography, Yeah, yeah. I would say. But it, what I'm finding is I just like the girl next door who became the first lady of the United States, you know, mm-hmm. and her life is just so fascinating. It is. Yeah. And the stories she tells um, and leading into the next book, but all the advice that it's like as a result of that. So being authentically yourself and just mm. going for it, and you know, easier said than done. But for her to be that person and actually see that in action is like is incredible. So, um, huge fan, huge fan, and that's it. I mean, I would have loved to have you know, Fran Lebowitz and Jody Wilson-Raybould mm. and a bunch of other people at the table, mm. uh, but you only gave me five. So, mm.
0: <laughs> Jody Wilson-Raybould, yeah, you were yeah. you
1: were you not pleased when when she got kicked out of cabinet? Uh, I was always, I I read her book as well, very fascinated Mm. on her opinions about the role of government and the partisanship of government. Mm. Um, I did work on an interview with her for uh, the podcast festival, or sorry, Lit Fest uh, Mm. a couple years ago, and we got to interview her at her home um, in in BC. Yeah, it was fantastic. And just uh, talking a lot about Authenticity, You know, this is just keep coming up and Mm -hmm. her ability to be able to and all MPs to be able to do what's best for their constituency as opposed Mm -hmm. to what's necessarily best for the party and for parties to come together and vote on things that have a mutual benefit for citizens as opposed to just shooting something down because it's the other parties. And I think that's opened up a big conversation. Like, what is the future of government and politics Mm -hmm. from the political side? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, i'd love to talk to her i think she'd be fascinating to that's awesome that you get to interview her yeah. um did you get to see michelle Obama when she came to edmonton
1: i did not mm. yeah i was out of town but okay. uh
0: we went to that show it was, it was pretty nice
1: nice yeah. yeah 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 who interviewed her
0: um robin robin river what's her name robin givens robin
1: oh right right right
0: uh i forget her last name she's on good morning america i think yeah uh, last question. Besides the circle of life, what do you know for sure?
1: Well, this is something I know for sure recently. It's not something okay. I've always known to be true. Yeah. Uh, how hard you work is not as important as the impact you make.
0: How hard you work is not as important as the impact you make. Mm. Yeah. yeah.
1: Love it. Same.
0: Sherry, thanks so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, I remember... I can't remember how many years ago it was. I want to say maybe 2016. I remember being at a, a at a conference that we both were probably at uh, at our time at the province, and I remember you talking about social media and and its emergence and the use of Twitter and like that was only seven years ago. Think about how much has changed since then. But I remember that talk could last uh, create a lasting impression about. Um, you know, the use of digital tools, but also just an impression of, of you. And so I appreciate just having you on the podcast and being able to connect this way and, and wish you a ton of good luck in, in the, the new podcast and your business and, and, you know, being that parent and and all that. So thanks for making time for me today.
1: And thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Uh, it it was nice to kind of have that full circle moment and talk about all the different things that have happened in the last, uh, 10 or 15 years so appreciate yeah. you you inviting me
0: I'm pre- that's awesome um we're gonna put all of sherry's information in our show notes and uh and like and subscribe and do all those great things and, and check her instagram page out and and her business and then her upcoming podcast on branding and thanks again sherry we'll uh, talk soon thank you all right thanks everyone talk to you later bye